A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex F1 Legal. We are the law. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Taking a Stroll Up the Grid. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Are you aching after the karting? Uh, I was pretty sore. My shoulder blades were really hurting. See, every time you go over a bump, I've got really sharp shoulder blades, so they just keep banging on the the seat. But it's the first time I've not had blisters for a while, so that's nice. It's amazing that it, it took just as much stress to go as slowly as you were going compared to how fast I was going. I assumed it would be harder, you know, the faster you went. What are you implying? That you're slow. Chris, we will talk about the karting at Buckmore Park later, and we've actually got a lot of F1 news to talk about as well. But today, we're talking law and business in F1, which I'm genuinely excited about because there's loads of news to unpack that involves it. But first of all, let me tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong but we're first. Today, we are joined by a team of legal experts to help me avoid being sued and also talk about the actual legal and business issues. First of all, we've got Peter Wright, Managing Director of Digital Law, Non-Executive Director, Board Member at the Law Society of England and Wales, and Chair of GDPR Working Group. Peter Wright, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Spanners. How are you? I didn't realise you were the Chair of the GDPR Working Group. Did you send me all those emails? Uh, Partially, yes. So all that was your fault? Not entirely. Uh, I spent an awful lot of the year explaining to people why they didn't need to send emails, but no one was listening. Excellent. Okay, so at least that's all out of the way. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, You're a massive F1 fan yourself, of course. Uh, I am indeed, uh, for about the last 25 years or so. Excellent. And you've brought along your better half as well, Dr. Heather Anson, Managing Director of Anson Evaluate, US Qualified Attorney and Author and Speaker. Hello, Dr. Heather. Well, hello. 
I'm very impressed with the caliber of guests we have on today. And as if that wasn't enough, we've also got Peter Goodchild, Associate Professor of the University of Law, who teaches contract law, commercial law, intellectual property law, legal systems, is slightly slower than me over one lap of a car. Peter, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you very much. Although I'm not slower than you over one lap. Wow. Well, so you keep chickening out. You didn't come to Map Live. That's true. You timed it so I couldn't come. Before we start the legal stuff, can you believe that a team of lawyers has forced me to read a disclaimer? No, of course, we all believe it. So here it is. Quick disclaimer. This may be F1 legal, but none of this is actually legal advice. It is opinion, block capitals, I think that's important, and based only on material in the public domain. We have not had the benefit of seeing any contracts or agreements. We are just hypothesizing on material in the news. Now then, let's start with the news on the logo. Let's go to Dr. Heather. Uh, Heather, there there has only been this new F1 logo (laughs) this season, and it was kind of seen as Liberty Media stamping their mark on F1. We don't need your perfectly good logo. We're going to go for sort of two tram lines, but there has been a problem with it. Well, yeah, it seems that an American company, uh, 3M, which is an incredibly exciting company, they do things like paper, uh, chemicals, and in this case, compression socks. So those lovely medical things that you wear on on flights, uh, and if you're an old lady, um, not not quite like me. (laughs) So this is to sort of stop deep vein thrombosis. Yeah, yeah, and and swollen ankles and and stuff like that. The lovely things that we get as we get older, um, or long haul flights. Um, but so yeah, the 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 it's apparently clashing with compression socks made by 3M. Um, so that's that's the first interesting bit about it. So just for the audio listeners, for the video guys, I've just put up the logos. I mean, we know the new F1 logo. It's two tram lines turning right to make the F, and then the one. Uh, or I, which you could easily mistake for an I, nice one, is is red, and the compression socks one is just that F element. So they are they are not dissimilar, but they're certainly not identical. No, they they're they're they have similarities to them, but I think um, more importantly, this is one of those examples of where there may might be a law that says you shouldn't be doing this, but in practice. Somebody in the legal department at 3M didn't contact the marketing department to say, do you have a problem with Formula One racing having a logo similar to the compression socks? Because I think the marketing department would say, well, they couldn't hurt to to have them mistaken. If we get more compression socks sold to like Formula One fans, yay, not likely to, to hurt Formula One to have the association because I, I don't see many of them wearing that. So, so what's Just, the what's the current issue at the moment? Is it that 3M is filing some kind of legal action? Well, they they claim they're not they 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 won't say for sure. I think it's it's a we're looking at it. It in practice, what I would have done if I were well, I wouldn't have done it if I were a 3M attorney. But in practice, what they normally do is send a letter saying you're infringing. We, we disagree with this. Um, we don't want you to do it. Um, let's start talks. Like, pay us a lot of money, right? Um, kind of letter. Yeah. Sorry, I've, I got distracted because Russell Coburn in the chat room has said I'm go. I'm off to buy compression socks right now. So we've just done them a, a bit of free yeah. advertising. And, and could it even just be from a marketing point of view? They've kicked up this fuss, yeah. and now suddenly people are talking about 3M compression socks. 
Um, I'm not so sure because I, I it was it took me pointing out to Peter they were compression socks because I think what did you think it was a cleaning product? You weren't yeah, quite sure. Um, so yeah, when I first saw this story, I thought it was something to do with yeah floor cleaning or something. So it took it had a real effect on me when I saw the product. Um, I mean, it, 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 it is uncanny. Today was the first time I've actually gone and looked at the logos side by side. And they there is a real strong similarity there, um, yeah. to, almost to the point you wonder if it was the same marketing company that thought, well, it was quite successful. We did it for them. They liked it. Let's just add on another um, line to the side uh, and then we can make some more money out of that great idea we had two years ago. Um, it, it did seem like it was very close and i say it's when you put it side by side you think this is almost too close it's almost uncanny how how similar it is dr heather but i i think that's something that um we're making that assumption in this in this new new age of digital images there are not as many twists and turns and things that you can't get as com- complicated as you did before so it's it's not a big leap to say this is how you should do an, an f really um, so I don't think that necessarily it had to be a copy. It's that there's only sort of so many ideas under the sun. I mean, this M, if you turn it upside down, is eerily like the background sign on Loose Women. That's right. Look out for it next time you're <laughs> pretending to be ill. Peter Goodchild, Professor Peter Goodchild, while I've got you. Oh, sorry. I, I get, I'm so uncomfortable sitting in these chairs for a long time. Thankfully, I don't risk deep vein thrombosis because of my 3M compression socks. Sorry, Dr. Heather, you, you make a serious <laughs> point while I'm mucking around. I was just actually going to say, you know, they have these compression socks for that. <laughs> yes, I know. That, that's exactly where I was leading it to. Glad we're on the yeah. same wavelength. Um, but I, I had a, a girlfriend 10 years ago. It didn't work out. Alas, she wanted different um, people. Um, but she was a designer for Tesco's. And her job was basically to take designer clothes and design something similar with five substantial differences. So I think actually, Dr. Heather, you're probably the person to answer this. I mean, they, there is enough different. There's, they're a different color. Uh, they're a slightly different shape. They've added the one. Um, are they, where, where do you feel like they stand in your opinion? Uh, if they choose to pursue this? Well, I think they, they, they don't have a great case 3M, I don't think, because you also have to show that there's, there's significant chance of confusion in the market. Um, and that they're going to to somehow damage or, or damage a brand in some way. They're, when you when you're filing the trademark, generally you have to fit in a category of what type of business you're running with this. Now, I've run into these these issues uh, in in U.S. trademark filings, and I, I had one get tossed because the initials were the same in the trademark, but the designs were totally different. But it was because the the initials were the same in a company that did something similar-ish uh-huh. to what my client did. Um, so it was actually quite a rare thing that they even complained because there there wasn't much connection. But that it has to be – it was a pretty close connection. Um, they are both in like a tourism industry type business. So you could see where that could actually get some confusion. I don't think this is even close enough. It It really doesn't make sense to me. Excellent. Well, um, slightly related, Peter Goodchild, you were telling me about the shoey having uh, not dissimilar uh, an issue in, in that he's he's claimed it. Is it Ricardo that's claimed it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think it's actually been registered to Formula One, the, the word shoey. Hang so, on. Uh, so wait, do they own the word shoey? Should we be asking permission to say shoey right now? Well, they do own it in a very narrow field. Uh, I think the headlines were uh, all about no one being able to do a shoey, but that's not true, is it, Heather? 
That's absolutely right. You have to, you actually have to disclaim on it that you're not actually saying that you own the rights to that word outright, that you can't do that. It's literally, you're only using it for that product or service. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the headlines were saying no one can do a shoey. So no one can grab their shoe and drink out of it. And that's absolutely wrong, isn't it? Yeah, that's a patent issue. Yeah, being able to do something like that, it'd be, you know, I've patented the process of doing this, maybe, um, possibly. But yeah, stopping people from doing something like that, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think they'll have a real job to do that, given that um, I think Ricardo was copying it from, um, it was either MotoGP or another sport in Australia. Uh, so. I'm sure that's going to carry on happening there on a regular basis. And it's going to be pretty difficult for them to say, ah, no, sorry, this is a Formula One thing now and you're not able to carry on. Yeah, it was Jack Miller after he won his first MotoGP race a couple of years ago. And didn't it originally come from surfing and angling? Uh, however, how they're related, I don't know. But shoeys and angling. <laughs> All right, then, uh, Peter Goodchild, <laughs> Professor, tell me what it is I can't do now given that this has happened. What practical effect does this... I must apologise. I've moved my mic position slightly and I keep hitting it. Uh, so what can't I do uh, now that he's done this? Well, it's it's Formula One. You can't apply the word shoey to drinks bottles oh, and right. I think some types of clothing. It's really narrow, but you can't apply the word shoey to that. But if you do use the word in any other way, it's fine. And it's only in 25 countries, but the UK is one of them. Heather? Um, and also, there's not an issue with offshoots of that, like the leggy we saw. With it. Peter, you want to explain <laughs> that one, maybe? Monger? Yeah. Oh, um, God. Yes, exactly. Peter yeah. Monger. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Billy Monger drank out of his prosthetic leg, going down in legend forever. And then that was yeah. replicated on um, the last leg uh, the, that weekend when Alex Brooker ended up pour, having champagne put into his leg and uh, ended up being then drunk live on Channel 4. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's quite a few people. It's it, it's very difficult to hold on to such a, a what's becoming a popular thing in that way now. So, yeah, OK, you might not be able to use your shoe, but you can use your leg instead. Brilliant. Well, we've got you then, Peter. Right. See, um, your better half there is, is Dr. Heather. That's very impressive. Always sounds good. We've got Professor Pete over there uh you know what impressive do you have any fancy letters or anything how can we big you up a little bit um well uh, i am a I, i'm a solicitor of the courts of england and wales which means something in this country but you go to america and they say we don't like solicitors because that's people that go and knock on your door trying to sell things I've, i write a few books and things as well as does heather uh so so we're both authors we we do books on fairly dry legal things like gdpr and cybersecurity and stuff Peter Wright is being very modest here. He is legit a big deal. Uh, Peter Wright, it is yeah. great to have you here on Missed Apex Podcast. Uh, better company I couldn't choose to find. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about driver contracts? I mean, namely, we've had Daniel Ricciardo moving and, and sort of mugging everyone and going to Renault. But we've also had Lewis Hamilton taking a very, very long time to confirm that he was going to stay with Mercedes. But, I mean, it was an open secret. I think everybody was saying he was going to stay. There was no real alternative options. Why did it take so long? 
very good question. I think the only real option was either was he going to continue with Mercedes or would he actually walk away from the sport? We always hear that he has, you know, lots of interests in the US. So I think it was always going to be a matter of would he stay or would he just walk away at some point? I, I still think even now after his two year deal, that's probably the most likely option. But why did it take so long? It's because there's so much tied up in these driver contracts now. Um, Lewis made a point of saying, I negotiate my own contracts with the team, which is a bit of a move from previous years. If we think that um, Flavio Briatore, um, former team boss, used to manage a number of drivers, including Mark Webber. Um, so not only would he then ar- arrange, right, you're going to go and drive for Red Bull, he'd also take a percentage of the salary. Um, and he did that with a number of drivers on the grid. Before that, we used to have big uh, managers like Willie Webber, who ended up managing Michael Schumacher and negotiating contracts. Um, the, the interesting issue is that we've gone from this uh, lawyers uh, and managers being involved in the contracts to, in the case of Lewis and uh, Sebastian Vettel, they seem to be handling the negotiations themselves. But we're talking about negotiations that aren't just about, are you going to be number one or number two? What's your salary? It's down to the image rights. It's down to what you can have on your cap, what colour your cap is, what sort of logos you're going to have on the car, what's going to be on the overalls, what sponsorship engagements you'll have. There is a very large amount tied up in these contracts, which are fairly weighty, meaty uh, documents if you were to actually hit print. And um, increasingly, I think that's the reason why it's taking so long for these things to happen. He says, and then Daniel Ricciardo apparently turned around and signed a contract very quickly, but different interests an awful lot of negotiation an awful lot of um certainly between lewis and mercedes an awful lot of marketing is tied up in that for the next couple of years so one of the things lewis hamilton talked about when he first went to mercedes was he had freedom away from the team to do his own marketing so presumably when he turns up on for, for a grand prix weekend is he in the hands of mercedes commercially or is he like an entity lewis hamilton media inc uh very good question. I think he's certainly doing a certain amount when it comes to um, a certain amount of PR with the team. But I think with Mercedes, he's doing a lot less than he used to do with McLaren, um, who famously utilise every last second of what the drivers are doing, not just um, at, the, at the circuit, but also an awful lot of stuff between the races that's non-engineering related. Right. OK, so that means that they they have dibs on him for interviews and things. Is he really delaying a contract just to be able to say well actually i can turn up on a kind of prillia motorcycle uh rather than come in the mercedes car is it, is it that kind of thing and, and w- was it at risk of affecting the on-track action at any point like there was no doubt was there that lewis hamilton was going to end up signing i don't think there was too much doubt but i i think he very much now only wants to work to race on his terms i think he feels that he's now at the level where He's won the titles, the races, his bargaining power is such that if he doesn't want to end up going to do those commitments, he doesn't want to do it. And I suspect there was probably a fair amount of pushback there. And then I think at the back of his mind, he always knew, you know what, if you don't like it, I will walk away. Um, One thing that I've noticed in particular the last couple of races is how much emotion, I mean, we've always known that Lewis wears his heart on his sleeve, but you look at the British Grand Prix when he got out after that pole lap and he was literally shaking with the adrenaline of it. You look at how much he puts himself through that every weekend, and I think he probably is getting to the point where he thinks, okay, at a certain point, do I want to carry on doing this to myself? Yeah, well, my, I, I'm going to the idea that he's he's in a superior position to most of the other drivers because of um, of his wins, um, but he's made it very clear that he he's developing his life 
outside of racing um, as well. I mean, he's going to be, you know, dropping an album, I think, <laughs> sometime soon and, and doing all these things. So I, I think the contract negotiations with him are more complicated because he really, really wants to make sure he's being given that time. And he's also found out that sometimes when he takes time away, yeah, he does better. Well, I mean, London Live being a prime example, he obviously had other priorities at that time. Peter Wright, you are, you've got a wry smile there. I mean, that's a classic example of him wanting ownership on his time. It is. And um, clearly on that occasion, you know, he, he was criticised a bit for, oh, he didn't go along to this event that every single other driver and team was represented at. But then he turned up and won the race the following weekend. What's more important? And clearly he was able to do that without either there was a bit of a penalty and he thought, you know what, I don't mind paying however many thousands of of pounds this penalty will be because that's no longer an issue, particularly for me. I would rather have that time to use it for my preparation the way I want to. Uh, And we think he probably applies that same methodology to when it comes to his contract, to be quite honest. Very good. You you raise an interesting point about turning up the next race and winning. We're not even sure who will be turning up for the next race. No, I think we'll stick with you here, Peter Wright, with no fancy thing at the beginning. Does she lord it over you at home? Does she like, well, you know, I am called Dr. Heather. Perhaps it is your turn to do the washing up. Anyway, no, we won't get into your domestic arrangement. Uh, Tell us about Force India. So, first of all, can you unpack this for us? Because there's several kind of angles you you could take it as. You could take this as Perez and Mercedes basically ganged up on Force India, or there's the alternate story where they white-hatted it and Perez released a statement saying that he he used administration to save Force India. Can you mm. can you get to the bottom of this? Can you unpack who was right and who was wrong? Uh, I, I can try. I think we have to put it in the perspective of the fact that um, Force India have had significant financial problems because of their ownership for many, many years. Um uh, Vijay Malia had to divest himself of a lot of his assets, like the, the drinks company he used to own in his airline, um, more than five years ago. And he's now, um, you know, been walking around saying I'm the team principal uh, when he's only been able to attend one race in Silverstone every year because of the fear of extradition <laughs> if he went to any other country. Uh, and he was, I mean, I think the team's been for sale for the last couple of years, pretty much, but no one wanted to pay. I think there was about thick end of $450 million that he wanted for it. Uh, and also, I think attached to it, if they brought, if you brought that, not only would you be paying a lot, it would come with, with all its encumbered debts as well. We know uh, issues paying for them, safety's engine supply, and I think it came down as well to the point that when you go through administration, you can then sometimes not have to deal with all of those creditors. So, not only was it uh, Mercedes, I think Perez forwent his salary. And I think Mercedes were, ended up not being paid or only were paid a very small part, part of their engine fee for one year or more. Um, hence why they ended up placing a Mercedes young driver with them. Um, but looking at all of that, um, HMRC, because of a big tax bill, had actually petitioned to have the whole team wound up um, only recently. Uh, that ended up being allayed through uh, a, a little bit of, like you say, the white hat with uh, Perez offering to uh, uh, to help out. But it ended up getting to the point that only through by going through administration, I think, could uh, the team get into a position where it's going to be a viable asset to buy. Uh, and I think that was actually something that was hinted at by, uh, by Joe in one of his uh, sessions on, on Missed Apex as well. So it's been coming for a while, and I'm just pleased for 
the, four, the hundreds of people that work at Force India that this was resolved pretty quickly because you don't want to be uncertain, worried about your job and where your mortgage is going to be paid um, for that long, uh, particularly with all the, the outgoings that an F1 team has. I think the real issue that they hit this year um, was actually a result of the halo being introduced because uh, there was a, a, a rumor that they'd sort of gotten on quite early with their 2018 car and then suddenly the halo was pushed through and they had to do a lot of redesign which cost a lot of uh, money and ended up becoming quite an unnecessary expense which might have been one of the final nails in the coffin there. Uh, let's have Prof- Professor Pete weigh in on that. <laughs> well what I thought was very odd about the whole thing was that it all seemed a bit of a fait accompli a lot of assumptions were being made before the actual administration happened if you listen to Joe's podcast it seemed like it was very much the approved way forward and that seemed really dangerous to me there was a period about a few days after the administration started when it really looked like the whole thing would would crater and uh, I thought that was a shame but I, I don't know what other way there was around it. What do you think, Peter? I, I think you're right. The only way this was going to be resolved was going through um, administration. I, I didn't really see, I didn't see there being the possibility of any negotiation with the previous owners to be able to get a resolution where it would all have, have passed through smoothly. It was, it was always going to have to go to uh, through this mechanism. Um, and I think you're right, Peter. It, it did go on. I thought it was literally going to be a matter of hours, and then it will be announced this is what's happened. The fact it did go on for a little bit, it, it, it literally was getting to that point where you started to think, I, I hope this is going to be resolved because we've seen this before where a, you know, a team may have to go into administration, you think it's going to be okay, and then it gets drawn out, the, the white knight doesn't arrive, they don't like the look of the books, and then they pull out. And um, we, we don't want to lose another F1 team, certainly not one of the calibre of, of Force India. So, Professor Pete, though, where does that lead us now? I mean, oh my goodness. With a huge stroke of a pen and some eye-watering privilege for Lance Stroll, who you assume is going to go to Force India, we have now uh, Lawrence Stroll of Tommy Hilfiger sweeping in uh, as a buyer. Like, explain how that works, because I, I know Chris will be keen to go, ah, uh, technically, he's not buying it. He's leading a consortium. Uh, make it make it so that I understand. Well, as far as I understand it, there's... Several buyers, aren't there? But Lawrence Stroll is the big one. He, he's the vast bulk of the shares. Is, is that right, Peter? That, that's my understanding, yes. So he's led the consortium, but I think there are a number of other uh, people with fairly deep pockets in the background as well. Yeah, but I, I think one of the questions is, how closely is this linked to Lance Stroll, uh, Lance Stroll, not Lawrence Stroll, and how soon does that mean he moves his drive? Well, uh, that that actually is a good question because I think regardless now of the ownership structure at Force India, you've got two paying drivers, two high caliber drivers at Force India who I don't think are going to be very keen to uh, forego their drives out of the goodness of their heart. So they will have solid contracts in place. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they could be brought out of those contracts for a lot of money, but I, I can't see either. Uh, pati- I certainly can't see uh, Perez giving up that seat particularly easily. Uh, and just because the ownership of the team has changed doesn't necessarily mean we're going to see very rapid changes there. I may be wrong, but I, I can't see the-, the structure of the team being altered that much for the second half of this season. Well, so there is the the rumor at the moment that uh, Stroll will be moved to Force India with immediate effect. 
as in you know coming into spa yeah let's uh, let's address that chris um dr heather i know you've got an interest in these driver contracts um we were talking about it being unlikely but surely a man like Lawrence Stroll, with all those resources, he's going to go ahead and, and lead this consortium with Force India. Surely he's thought ahead and he's own, my thinking is he's only done it because he knows he can get at least one of those seats to free up. Yeah, I mean, that that's going to be one of his big concerns. This is something very common with, with big bucks. People with big bucks want to do what they want to do. And they want so- it now. <laughs> They want it now. Uh, it's it's going to depend on how large the the buyout clauses are, um, and he, he he would have to know that before he went in this, as well though. Um, and the other people in the quote consortium will have to know that they're agreeing to this as well. That's a huge part of it. Heather, I want to know why you said quote consortium. Um, well, when you have the big fish there and he's reeling in the smaller fish, that's what he's there for. So a consortium tends to indicate there's some even playing field amongst all the the people in that. But I I don't feel that here. So that's why I'm, yes, I'm doing air quotes consortium. (laughs) Uh, Let's go to Peter Wright. Peter Wright, I put it to you that Lance Stroll is going to be an F1 world driver champion because literally his family can just do whatever they want with it they could buy f1 if they wanted couldn't they and uh, so like what's stopping him what is stopping him being world champion at the moment uh even if uh you end up finding yourself in a good team you're still going to find yourself then up against hopefully the drivers are are that little bit sharper uh etc but if we get to the point where you get the high caliber drivers walking away you know, at the point their careers end and there aren't those who are then ready to come through and pick up, then it's, it could happen. Um, I, let's not as well be too harsh on, uh, on Lance. He has, uh, as far as I know, and I stand to be corrected on this, my impression is that he has uh, won races and achieved things in the lower formula and he has finished on a podium that wasn't, um, you know, the, 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 he has shown ability in F1 in, in a failure certainly this season, atrocious car. So, you know, I think the, the the guy deserves a little bit of credit, but F1 world champion, I, I don't think so. Certainly not in the short term. Your Honour, I'm a simple country chicken lawyer, uh, but the, uh, the the attorney for the defence is off his rocker. Are, are you making the defence that Lance Stroll isn't that bad? Because I have to say, I did get um, a friendly <laughs> but angry a series of emails saying that we slate Lance Stroll a lot. I feel at the moment that the burden of evidence, and I don't know if that's a legal term, but the burden of proof is for people who think Lance Stroll isn't that bad. Everything we're seeing at the moment suggests he's fairly off the pace. You know, I, I think it's it's quite likely that but most of those working at Williams, uh, I've, I've heard the rumours about the fact that they're saying, oh, that, what, why throw all this improvement at the car if you're going to find that the drivers don't have that last bit to be able to to really utilize the equipment they've got you know uh, i'm also sympathetic to to joe's argument which is that any driver who makes it into formula one has some ability and we have to remember that you know even drivers like nicky lauder ended up buying their way into their formula one seat we have to bear in mind that unfortunately it's a rich man's sport um people get their they usually have to make their way into formula one with a certain amount of backing be it either financially from red bull or the support of a team like mclaren or in lance's 
you know, obviously has his family money. But I mean, even someone like David Coulthard, he came from quite a well-off family. Um, you know, there was a museum where his family used to go and buy a example of one of the cars that he'd raced each year. And that's what's now sat in the museum. You know, most people don't really have that. The, the exception to the rule is someone like Lewis, who just got there through sheer dint of hard work on the on behalf of him and his, his father working several jobs for several years just to get him through. And even then, they then got the support from, yeah. from McLaren to help. So Lewis Hamilton, obviously, he got he got picked up and from then on in, but they had to get themselves in that position. But, um, I mean, Professor Pete, you, you're crushingly old, aren't you? I mean... The, even even with your vast F1 viewing experience, you can you can appreciate that we haven't quite seen anything on this scale before. Well, there's words like Francois Aino, there's Nicky Lauda, there's uh, there's a whole load of people who bought their contracts. But let's think about Monza last year. That wasn't. It may have been a flash in a pan, but you don't get fourth on the grid in the wet at Monza by. Uh, but with no talent at all, so so the jury's still somewhat out. I think the the I I, I don't want to say saving grace, but it's it, it's an excuse for Lance, but it also works in his favor as well. But uh, he does do a lot of testing, and in junior formula, he had a lot of his own testing, and he's had a lot of his own testing prior to coming into Formula One, and and did in his first season for a little bit um, as well. You know, and and that is only ever going to kind of improve your ability. I don't think he's kind of F1 material. Yeah, he must have a little bit of talent to have gotten into that position in the first place. But there's no denying the money goes a long, long way. I think it'll be really interesting. I, I'm hoping that Lance Stroll is going to move to Force India as rumoured in Spa and that he's going to come up against a top driver and I think Chris against either of those drivers jumping in this season certainly for this season he's going to get schooled either way I really don't want to believe that this is true because it's just not good for either team really Force India yes they'll have been saved but it is it will be a huge loss for them to lose either Perez or Ocon and Either one of them does not deserve to be kind of put out in the cold, really, and especially not for Lance Stroll. You know, this whole move benefits him and him alone. Right. Okay. so um, and he leaves a big gap at Williams. So let's finish off uh, with our legal team uh, before we go on to some news and talk about Buckmore a little bit uh, by talking about the hole and the gap that was left at Williams Uh, of your team. Peter, right. Who's who's best to address this? This is his team now. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, I love it. I love nothing better than causing a domestic on a live stream. Uh, Dr. Heather, how how do you see the the Williams business model? Because obviously they were getting a lot of money from Lance Stroll. I know it was rumoured to be tapering off, but if this has come as a surprise to them, where do they stand legally? Like, do you you imagine that like the pot of money has already been allocated for the season? So whatever happens, they're good. Yeah. I mean, if if they didn't plan for this contingency, then that's a that's a failure on their part you should be planning for these types of contingencies um and also they'll have built in um that you know buying out your contract side of it with considering he brought so much money then they're going to make it very expensive to buy him out ah right so it might be a case of like right now lance stroll's legal team is having to talk to the williams legal team and they're hashing this out as we speak Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Peter, how, how do you see that hole being filled? 
Well, at the moment, it's difficult to see because Williams was already facing a bit of a uh, fiscal cliff at the end of this year anyway, because they were looking at, one, losing the Martini sponsorship, two, the fact you get lower revenues from Formula One for finishing right at the bottom of the table, uh, which will have an impact. And then three, they've now got um, the man who's been pouring in uh, the money for the last couple of years, then uh, potentially moving his attention elsewhere. This is a real issue for them. I mean, if things were bad enough that they've had to have two drivers this year already where it was predominantly based on the money that they could bring in terms of them having those seats. Well, it's only going to get worse, unfortunately. So I think we're going to see more pay drivers next year and regrettably increasingly desperate measures just to stay afloat. And if you look at the if, if we think the difficulties that they've been in, you know, certainly a car that seems to have fundamental issues with it, ordinarily you'd want to hear of them buying in, you know, bringing in the best talent, good engineering, good technology. There's simply not going to be the budget there to do that. And when we look at budgets continually climbing every year, just to stand still is going to just mean they're just going to fall further and further back. Um, when I first started following Formula One, Williams was the team that was absolutely at the top and a long way at the top. And it's it's incredible to see how far, unfortunately, they, they've fallen since then. Excellent. I think we are running out of time. So don't worry, Chris, you will get every chance in the news section. Uh, but Dr. Heather, thank you so much for bringing your legal team onto Miss Apex podcast. And um, <laughs> we, we actually we have a sideshow run by uh, Matt Trumpets, who's uh, uh, the other producer outside of me and Chris, where we do a much longer form kind of version. Uh, and, and I know he'll have much more informed questions. So you guys would be much, uh, much appreciated on, on that format if you can make it. Uh, but Dr. Heather, where can people find you online? Well, they can find me um, at AnsonEvaluate.com. I, I am on Twitter, but not really. <laughs> like I have Twitter, but <laughs> I think I have an assistant who looks at that. Oh, um, fancy. <laughs> or a couple of them. And what else do I have, Peter? You're in charge of my social media. Let's go you to your... Facebook.com oh, forward yeah. slash AnsonEvaluate. Okay, there you go. And LinkedIn in case you're, you know... Business geeky. And uh, and as for your subordinate, uh, where can people find you? <laughs> okay, uh, I'm on uh, digitallawuk.com. I'm on Twitter at digitallawuk uh, and also on facebook.com forward slash digitallawuk. And finally, Professor Pete, where can people find you online? I'm just worried about where I stand in this in this uh, relationship. Um <laughs> Uh, you can't find me very very many places online, but you can find me in the University of Law giving lectures. Fantastic. Thank you so much to the legal team. Look forward to seeing you on a trumpet's time and good night. Night. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And speaking of Matt Trumpets, we are joined by a wild Matt to Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Joining us from vacation. Oh, it's going very well. Thanks for asking. How about yourself? Good show so far. Yeah, I mean, that had Trumpets time written all over it. But just due to scheduling, we decided to get them on. But I can imagine you're sitting there rubbing your hands going, oh, I've got a million questions uh, if they should make it onto the Trumpets time. Yes, indeed I did. Or indeed I do have a million questions that I wanted to ask. But you've preempted me, so here I am. Hey, it's not the same, is it? Look, I can't I can't reach no. out and touch you on the live show. I was rubbing your shoulders, caressing your face as I asked you questions. You seemed very comfortable with that. It was a bit it was a bit creepy, I'll be honest, but I felt like I had no choice since everyone kicked in to pay for it. But how cool? How cool are you guys? You, me, Chris and Brad all on a live panel. Chris, was that not just the biggest buzz of an experience? It was Honestly, that whole day was one of the best days of my life. You know, doing the live show was was really, really awesome. And the carting afterwards, I, I love this this new format that we've gone for. And it, I think it's just energized the whole event. It's just better I know. and better. It was so good going for the sprints because normally, yeah, you just hop in, you do your races and then you jump out like and you're just in the cart for 40 minutes or something and jump out here. You had a sprint. You had to talk about it. You you chatted and argued with the people who'd bumped you off, etc. And then culminating in finals. The whole day was like genuinely exciting. It was. But I'll tell you, the best part was having the live audience in the room with us. That was amazing. Chris there, he said something sweeping, which is that was the best, one of the best days of my life. I, I literally had that same thought and I was thinking, well, that can't be true. You know, I've had two children. I've got married. I've had several successes, but I think just the pure buzz of that. I think I just felt really kind of honored and lucky and grateful that all those people turned up. And I think it was overwhelming that they just turned up with all that goodwill. And in the room, people were smiling, people were happy, they were willing it to be good, and they made it better by being there. Yeah, they did. As did Thunder Beast. And I got to say, Alex Brundle. Right. Yeah, I was going to say the special guests we had on. Obviously, we had Thunder Beast minding the uh, minding the chat room. And I'll tell you what, Tony Thunder Beast Barnard is my spirit animal, no doubt whatsoever. And he was just, yeah, he dominates the room, uh, picked out the most embarrassing uh, live chat comments for comment of the week. Thanks for that, buddy. Yeah, Alex Brundle, what a revelation. I mean, I, we are hoping to get him back on. But considering the guy is um, an LMP one star, he's a Le Mans podium finisher. He he went into that environment, and obviously we're on a fairly amateur level. He 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 gauged the tone of it exactly and just slotted right in. Like massively impressed with the guy. Yeah, but I tell you what I really won't forget is his description of driving the Mulzahn straight at night in a P1 car. Yeah, 
Exactly. And and actually as well, he called us up on, you know, you have like casual everyday racism, casual day, everyday sexism. We've got like casual everyday non-F1ism. So like he was very quick to remind us about the rest of motorsport. No, 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 no. You have every day. <laughs> no, no, a lot, like there was one question from the audience, you know, where they said, uh, oh, yeah, Daniel Hartley's career is going to be over. And Alex Bond said, no, hang on a minute. It's not over. There's this entire world of motorsport. So, yes, we, we should be um, less guilty of doing things like that. Uh, who else did we have? We had um, uh, Jack, Jack Nichols, who was an absolute delight. Like, I'm a massive fan of Jack Nichols. He turns up, he's a giant human surprisingly nippy as well isn't he yeah so he's uh, 15 kilograms heavier than me which should equate to about a second on that track uh but he was still faster than me he, he's a fast bloke and he finished i think fifth overall i don't think he'll appreciate you mentioning the fact that he's 15 kilos heavier. No, i'm not calling him fat i'm just saying he's a gigantic human like he's a large human he is very tall yeah he's almost two spanners tall it's amazing <laughs> yeah that's funny yeah go on just say, see, you know, we had the A, B, and and C final, and I was, was like slap bang in the middle of the B final, and I think even in the points table as well, I was slap bang in the middle. So what I've w- learned from this is that I am exceedingly average at karting. Yes, uh, yeah, I, I quite agree with that. Uh, I took it quite seriously, I- and I ended. I was going for the. What we had was a separate award for people who didn't bring their own race suit. And Jack Nichols won that. So and I was just behind, though. So next time, I want to get the rental suit award. And also a big thanks to the guys who turned up for the podcast wars. So we had um, Checkered Flag, represented by Jack Nichols. And we ended up making them far too good because obviously they needed a couple of ringers. And uh, David Hatton was much improved i think i've been practicing on a sim uh so as the checkered flag listener he was actually better than the rest of our team except brad i think we came second and then the nrf1 boys callum and q uh uh cucumber came third overall i think and then last came the fantastic for f1 sake guys who by the way if you listen to for f1 sake just as funny in real life they are Uh, and then the winner of the overall event was helmet club uh, with cr- uh, Quizmaster Chris Catman Stevens and his team. All right, then. Let's get on with some F1 news, then. Oh, I didn't win it. Chris Catman, I said. You oh, Turner. Stephen. Ah, uh, uh, Chris Catman Turner. Too many Chris's. Chris is a terrible name. No kids. Are- There's no babies being called Chris anymore, are there? No. Uh, terrible great. name. You, Chris Stevens, tell me how F1 is going to go electric in the future. Yeah, so this is kind of, it's a thing, it's an elephant in the room. Yeah, no one really talks about it, but we kind of know it's going to happen. It's a bit like death, really. Um, <laughs> which is a horrible way to think about it now that I've said it out loud. But yeah, so F1 is going to be electric at some point in the future, maybe 10, 15, 20 years down the line when the technology is is ready and it's uh, the pinnacle of motorsport. Uh, and Ross Braun was talking about it earlier this week about how uh, we're not ready just yet, but give it some time and, you know, it is uh, going to happen. And the reaction to that was not good. The comments like, I will stop uh, watching F1 if it becomes electric. And there's just this whole stigma about electric racing being uh, an awful thing. And I think the first hurdle it kind of has to overcome is the fact that Formula E has the exclusive rights to be a single seater, all electric racing series until uh 2039 with the fia so you got that hurdle to jump through first but 
people say they'd stop watching if it was electric. Why? Why is that? And because think... change is never good, right? Okay, so let, let's not. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It is just kind of that backwards thinking. But I don't think we do need to panic. It was quite interesting at Autosport a couple of years ago, where they had an electric GT car come out, and and they were demoing other cars beforehand. When the electric GT car came out, it was very impressive, but they were playing really loud music to drown out the engine sound, Chris, because I think people would have freaked out. But with the music, it just looked like a perfectly normal, perfectly fast car. I don't know because like the there there is a thing. Electric cars do not provide the same spectacle, do they? I've been to Goodwood, I've seen the V tens and the V eights all fly by me, and then the Renault Edams car comes out and it is a little bit of a joke, really, to the audience, I think. But the the the, the complaint is always about the sound, isn't it? Mm. People don't even like the hybrid V sixes, so they're never gonna get on board with electric cars. And Formula E doesn't help the the issue. Because they almost admit that there's an issue and there is, you know, the sound is a problem because they play loud dubstep music during their I know, races. I know. I don't think it is a problem. I think, all right, if you've been to an oh, FE no. race, then fine, but but go to a, a an FE race into the first corner and tell me there's not something spectacular about the sound. Yeah, you te- you tear away the engine sounds, and Matt's going to agree with me here. You turn away the engine sounds, and you can hear the tires, you can hear the suspension, you can hear the contact even. Yeah, you can. And I was I was surprised when I went to the race in Brooklyn. I had really expected to be underwhelmed by the cars on track, particularly uh, from an audio point of view. But that's not the case at all, because you can hear the tires and you can smell the burning rubber in every sense. From a sensory point of view, I found it to be satisfactory. That said, if Formula E previously had screaming V12s and then turned up one season suddenly sounding like that, I can understand why people might be a bit disappointed. And I think we, we've got to kind of remember we have a unique viewpoint on these things because uh, formally, especially for us two, Matt, you know, we run a formally podcast together. It's, it's close to our hearts. We're going to defend it a little bit when, you know, somebody tries to come and, and beat it up. But I can totally understand why a wider fan base and general audience uh, don't want to, to get on, on board with this. And actually, one of the interesting points that somebody brought i sort of reached out on social media uh and and said why don't you like electric racing and one of the most interesting answers i got um is as a result of humanizing racing cars uh which we we sort of tend to do and we view the engine as the heart of a racing car and by taking the engine away you're you're taking away its this still an engine like there's still like a mode, there's still a power unit. Uh, I, I heard somebody the other day saying, and nothing wrong with this, but they say, I can imagine fixing an engine. Like you can physically go in and fix an engine. An electric motor, it's not magic. It's not, there's not a spell. It is still like a piece of engineering. It's a great piece of engineering. Um, the only thing you're really missing is the sound. But I, I think it's like the people who say, oh, if Ferrari went away, I'd never watch again. Well, wouldn't you? You'd still tune into F1, wouldn't you? And and the thing is as well is that electric and hybrid, in, in, you know, in general, just non-internal combustion, is is, is been proven okay. to be quicker. In in ah, terms right, of right, no, 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 hang on, it, it, and it, speed. It might be quicker over a lap, but that is effectively useless. That's not a great statistic. That's like saying, well, look, my rocket fueled no. car is better down a no, no. The straight of Monza. That, that no. it, that's not the same as having a racing car. No, no, I mean the high. No, the hybrid V6s are quicker than the 2.4 liter V8s. 
is is kind of my point. And the electric electric racing cars will be quicker than internal combustion. No, no, they won't. Yeah, they won't. Uh, just primarily. And I, I I hate to say something that that spanners will in any way be forced to agree with due to facts, but the fact of the matter is the energy density of batteries battery storage versus weight. It's where electric cars, electric vehicles will lose. If you made an electric car with a battery big enough to complete an entire Grand Prix distance, it would be way slower. And that's why when people talk about hybrids, hybrids are what we have now, but we have hybrids with petroleum. The likeliest next step for them would be hybrids, but using a non-petroleum fuel almost certainly hydrogen fuel cells, which I think is already written into the 2024 uh, WEC regulations, at least at the moment, although that might get pushed back. Toyota has been doing a lot of research on this. So it's something that big manufacturers are interested in. But when battery technology does get opened up for development in Formula E, just everything's going to change. It will, everything becomes harder, better, faster, stronger. You know, uh, nobody could have considered what electric cars can do now 10 years ago. So think about what they're going to be able to do in another 10 years from, from now. No, you, you uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, well, I think, I think, I think you're underestimating, but I'll let trumpets do, do that. No, I was going to say, do you want to explain the uh, problems with the chemistry and physics of it, or shall I? I think you would probably do it. Okay, better, okay. So, so. so here, here's the problem. I think that the pace of it, I've said this before, but Formula E seemed to make a lot of progress, which makes people think, oh, well, we can extrapolate that out five or 10 years up, and that's where e engines will be. Uh, and uh, I hope you've got your bingo cards, cards ready. As an engineer, I know that... Um, Actually, I've been tracking battery technology for a long time. What we've seen is the motor industry catching up with the physics of, of battery technology. And at some point, they're going to have to mark time. So that, that 2039 figure is probably a minimum. Uh, but the other question would be, Chris, uh, presumably, if we've got all electric racing, that means we're all electric on the road. Well, where are we getting all this power from exactly? Ah, oh, well, this is a crucial question, isn't it, really? You know, it's all well and good using solar and wind power. To, to power the things we have at the moment, where is that power going to come for when when things escalate and need a lot more power and a lot more durability? That is an answer I don't have at the moment, Spence. Well, you've actually got an even more basic problem, which is uh, the current uh, chemical composition of the batteries being used in the in, in motor cars and in motorsports uses a great deal of cobalt. And were you simply to scale current vehicles today? and say, let's just convert them all to electric vehicles. There are simply not enough resources to make that happen. Tesla has made strides in reducing their usage of cobalt. Uh, but interestingly, when I asked the McLaren people at the last race about the new Formula E battery, which is coming in, uh, they were unwilling to tell me almost anything about its composition or what they were thinking about when they designed it and whether or not things like cobalt were even an issue for them. In putting it together. So it's a mistake to take a look at what's being done in motorsport and think that it can be easily replicated on the road. No, I'm not surprised they were holding their cards uh, close to their chest on that one. And um, just to kind of explain the issue with cobalt, you know, it's, it's a very exotic and very expensive and very rare material. And, uh, yeah, just, and just, just to quickly explain, the reason Matt sounds a bit echoey is he's joining us on holiday uh, while his family are recovering from a hot midday on the beach. And Matt is sneaking off to do a bit of cheeky podcasting. So just wrap this up for me by saying it does really annoy me that 
we so often end up having to make compromises on the sport based on the state of motorsport technology. Personally, I don't think it's the responsibility of motorsport to to do anything, to, di- to dictate anything about uh, road or, or what we're going to do generally with our power supplies. I want to focus on the sport of it. Frankly, you don't need a hybrid to make a sport of it. You don't need V this, V that. You don't need noise. To make the sport of it, you need cars that are close enough that the drivers can actually compete. So, Chris, tell me about motorsport joining the Olympics. Uh, This is one of the most fascinating things I've ever read, and I'm so glad Autosport picked it up. Um, As as you may know, motorsport is currently banned in the Olympics because there is a a ban on anything that requires mechanical propulsion, so i.e. motorsport. Um, But this might be uh lifted and actually at the youth olympics this year there's going to be a sort of demo of it and that's the youth olympics is where they sort of try out what things they might they might bring up to the proper olympics oh right so that's like e-radio for this show yeah (laughs) (laughs) it worked for me so uh (laughs) hopefully it'll work for karting but yeah so electric karting is is being uh demoed and it might be happening in the 2024 olympics which i think is in paris I remember rightly. Okay, um, well, okay, here's the first problem, Chris, is I have yet to be at a karting event, now that I do a bit of commentary at karting events, where a driver did not use him having a particularly slow kart as an excuse. So surely there's your first obstacle, which is how do you how do you ensure parity? I mean, at most rental kart venues, people say there's at least 0.6 seconds overlap between karts. Well, first, well, first of all, uh, competitors are competitors and they will just look for any excuse possible and racing drivers are the worst for that but also you know this is not going to be like going to a rental car place this is not going to be like going to Buckmore Park where 10,000 people have already used that go-kart and probably bashed it up a little bit before you've jumped in it this is going to be professionally done specifically made for these events like every we are not knocking the professionalism and quality of Buckmore Park's cars they were really cool no, no, absolutely not. They were fantastic. Some of the best go-karts I've ever driven, honestly. Um, but it, it'll be like using any equipment in the Olympics. You know, so I'm sure some Olympian at some point has claimed, oh, my javelin isn't as good as that person's. Surely the disparity is a little bit. I mean, the javelin's a long pointy stick, Chris. It's a lot easier to manage that. But if they're electric carts, I suppose you can monitor the power output, et cetera, et cetera, from, from the Marshall Post. Exactly. And the good thing about this is, you know, it's motorsport evolving into what the world needs, but it's also the Olympics showcasing what the world needs as well. It's the pair of them kind of fusing in and and, and adapting with the world, which I love. Well, I, I have a question for you. Is this simply a driver's thing or are we talking about having an actual team? For example, when the bikes race in the Olympics, the cyclists show up with bikes from different manufacturers. And if we look at a spec series, let's say F2, even though technically everything is spec, once uh, people get on different setups and stuff like that, you still have differences uh, in performance, sometimes quite significant ones. So any thoughts as to how that's going to be handled? No, because this idea is so thin on the ground at the moment, you know, and I, these kind of details that haven't been worked up yet. But I would be really fascinated to know if it's just like if they just rock up and say, look, that's just what you have to deal with or if they can tinker with a setup or something. I, yeah, these are details that will come in time, I'm sure. So the reason this excites me as as an F1 fan, I see a lot of similarities to cricket 
30, 20 years ago. Now, Chris, you're going to uh, you're gonna have to bear with me here because I, I believe you're not a cricket fan. Um, no, but, but I grew up. <laughs> but I grew up basically watching Test match cricket, which was five days long, uh, and then there was a one day version, which was literally all day. You know, where you have you know forty five or 50, 50 overs. Somewhere along the line, cricket admitted to itself that there was another audience out there who would like a much shorter game. And and they introduced 2020 cricket, which is 20 overs per side, which was only about three and a half hours long for a game. So if if we can get another generation of of people who might not sit down and watch a, a two-hour F1 race, sit and get interested in an exciting karting format, is it is it not time that perhaps F1 looks for its for its 2020? Like we can have parallel events going on with younger drivers with much more spec car oh hang on f that's f, i'm describing f2 but but you know something like a, that is appealing to the sort of people who would like sprinklers on the sort of people who would like safety car grid starts so you can have your pure f1 your test cricket but let's have something that is just a pure spectacle even if that is a a, a setup and a primer to the main event all right there have been talks about sort of sprint races and ideas to you know fit up with the format a little bit um i have a a cricket question though which i can't believe uh i have said gone but does the 2020 run a lot did they replace regular cricket no 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 it was in addition to and what you, you you although all the players can do all the formats you have people specializing in one or the other Okay, so you kind of have to work out how that fits in with a motorsport because one is going to be superior than the other, isn't it? Uh, but but which what the original or or the new thing? You know, which well, one is the idea the is that the the shorter format would bring in people through the door, so they would come for the twenty twenty, and then they would come to love and appreciate the longer form of the game. And and I think with F one, as long as you made the the shorter, snappier version not quite as good at the core things of F1, but you did appeal to people who just wanted to see, you know, you could literally just have 10 lap dashes just so you're, and and just do all the quirks that we can think about as gimmicks just to guarantee action, get people through the door and then say, now sit down for the main event. I mean, that, that that's what the support races are for, surely, isn't it? Because they are shorter races and quite no. often better <laughs> races you know i if we, if we want to get more people through the door surely we should just find a way to make the sport better as a whole rather than just kind of uh, but, but yet another band-aid wait a minute th- there's a feat that nah see this is where you go okay so the th- point with f2 is that is not seen as equal these these are seen as potential drivers earning their place into f1 so that's slightly different i'm talking about a parallel series that it's exciting and no let's not talk about this band-aid because you're saying there's something essentially wrong with f1 there's not f1 is what it has always been what i'm talking about is increasing the audience by having another type of format matt yeah and, and i think really uh when you talk about f2 you're very much describing f2 uh the issue for some people, is the length, as it was for cricket, is going to be the length of the race and the amount of strategy that needs to be paid attention to. And so the solution would be to take something very similar to F2, attach it to current F1 teams, and then have your junior driver or test driver be the person who does that race before the big teams go off. I would think you could you could do a short 20-lap, uh, 25-lap race with your junior drivers in, in a in in spec, you know, in in a junior car, but one that's faster than an F two car, 
And then that would be exciting all on its own because these are people who might really be sitting in the seat next year. I love it. All right, Chris, Alonso has posted that he is going to make an announcement on Tuesday. It's now Sunday, so this isn't going to age well for the people who listen after Tuesday, but make a, a prediction. Tell me, what is he going to announce? Honestly, I have no idea. I wanted to think it's uh, going to be some sort of IndyCar uh, thing because we know he's chasing the Triple Crown and uh, I think uh, a full IndyCar assault is going to be the best way for him to to go for that, really. Um, and it's interesting because it's all going to play in with the driver market and is, is it going to save Van Dorn's career? Is Ocon maybe even going to get a, a seat there, Science and whoever? So there's quite a lot resting on whatever this decision is, to be honest. Gone trumpets. What's it going to be? He's going to announce that he's uh, he's taken an even bigger bigger sponsorship role in McLaren. That's that's the thing. A lot of these times when uh, a company or a driver says they've got some major announcement, it tends to be something really, really dark. It could just be that he's brought Bell on as a sponsor for McLaren. Well, the thing is, the sponsor would want him to make a big fuss out of it and make a big deal. So it could it could well be that, couldn't he? He could be getting a new hat. And as part of the contract, they've said, you will use your Twitter account to tease an announcement and then it will be us. And that would be fairly standard as well. But we're sitting here because it's summer and there's nothing else on. We're like, oh, what is it? I don't know. Maybe he's giving away more motorsport.com subscriptions. I don't know. Hmm. I wonder if that came with a sponsorship deal as well. Uh, okay. So, I mean, that's, um, that's pretty, pretty dry on the news. But I think Kimi Raikkonen has been rumoured to have signed a new deal as well, Chris. Yeah, there's an interesting thing because, of course, there was a a rumor a couple of months ago that Leclerc had signed a deal at uh, Ferrari, which we all seem to have forgotten about. Um, But I think with every passing day, it's looking more and more likely that Kimi is going to be staying again at Ferrari and that they're not quite willing to take the punt on Leclerc just yet. Now, whether that means he's going to end up staying at Sauber or he might get bumped up to to the Huss because in the the long run that's probably going to be a a better car uh, over the next couple of years so that's probably worth something worth for him Matt yeah well you would have to see um normally you would see Haas as a step to Ferrari as it's a faster car currently than the Sauber but Haas also um turned down some Ferrari drivers because they want to retain control over who drives for them in this case, it might be a happy meeting. Leclerc is faster and, uh, well, I would say as fast as Grosjean, but quite possibly more consistent. And we've also seen Haas and Magnussen say that uh, they're in no particular hurry to get uh, K-Mag back, back on contract either. That'll happen all in due course. So I think Haas might be one to watch in terms of the driver merry-go-round. My wife's mashed potatoes more consistent than Grosjean. Although to find that funny, you would have to come to my house and eat, I guess, several portions of her mashed potato, which vary wildly from time to time. So I guess now, now you've got that context, you can go back thirty seconds and appreciate that joke. Well, wow, man, that was worse than my sneezing thing. No, last week. nothing was worse than your sneezing thing last week. I sneezed again, and I had a mute button for it. Isn't this great? Wait, don't um, worry, guys. This show's nearly over. <laughs> um. You'd have to think Grosjean's uh, days are numbered, really, in F1. You know, he he's reaching at an age. Same same with Sergio Perez, really. You know, they're getting to a point where they are they're not going to be world champions. They're probably not going to be race winners. Uh, so, what, what are they still doing here? Really, they're just kind of occupying seats that I think a lot of uh, better people can take. Really, 
Um, and I think, you know, if 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 Ferrari come along and say, we want to put Leclerc in your car, and it has to be stupid to say, no, thanks. All right, then, guys, uh, I think we'll wrap this up now. But I think the big story that's going to unfold before Spa is going to be, do Force India adopt Lance Stroll straight away? So I think there's three options. I think either no, he stays put at Williams. Yes, he goes in and boots out one of those other drivers. Or... The rumour is actually based around the fact that he's going to turn up for a Friday practice session. Um, I I think it is going to happen. Uh, I, 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 I almost don't want it to, as I mentioned before. Um, but there is a, you know, a, a good possibility of it happening. And, I, you know, for Lance, it makes sense. Doesn't make sense for Force India because that is a, 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 a loss to, the, to lose either Perez or Ocon. And and taking stroll on board. Wait wait, 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 stop! What are you on about? Force India. It's force stroll. Get get this out of your oh. head. It's not a loss for force stroll because they want Lance Stroll in. They're gaining a few positions on the grid, and I don't see any reason they should wait. Uh, De Jotma says, but Stroll's already paid for his Williams seat. Right again, it doesn't matter. This is chump change to that family. They could literally buy the sport. They are going to buy Force India. That's going to put them up the grid. He is now in charge. He's not in some deal with Williams. He is in charge of this consortium. He can pour limitless funds into Force India. He could double their engineering budget, triple it. And then in three years time, he's going to be in the fastest car in Formula One with a 42-year-old Kimi Raikkonen as his teammate and will be world champion. Lance Stroll is going to be world champion. I can't see any way around it now. And I th- what, the thing with Williams as well is, you know, the, Kubica is likely to end up getting uh, the seat if he goes, uh, if Lance goes. I, if he goes mid season, Kubica is the reserve driver. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think what that means for Williams is that they're taking the third of their three subpar driver lineup that they have. Well, that's but not also- going to be a popular comment uh, at C. Stevens Journo. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's a fact. You know, Robert Kubica is not as good as he was in 2010, and has not he's not raced a Formula One car in seven seven years or so. He's not going to be as good as he was back then. He's more than likely not going to amount to anything in Formula One again. Don't get me wrong; it's a great story. I'm delighted for him to be, you know, in this position. But it's it's more of the having to go for for money. Than anything else. JBJ1138 says, Stroll, go F1 yourself. Uh, Moon says they won't put Kubica in. Now then, I think if it was end of the season, they wouldn't put him in. But he's got a reserve driver contract. And I assume that came tied in with money and sponsorship. Williams might have to put him in. The the other option as well is that uh, Mercedes offer Williams uh, some money, which we know they're going to need now, uh, to take Ocon Mm -hmm. uh, instead. Um, all of this it may end up saying Sergey uh, saving Sergey Sorokin's career um, because we know he brings a lot of money with the SMP Bank, um, so that might just leave him hanging on by his fingertips for a, another year, unfortunately. Um, but uh, all of it, it it's all going to be a financial situation still. You know, every single decision for Williams at the moment is going to be financially motivated. All right, guys, let's get out of here. Chris Stevens, thank you very much for taking the lead on the news stories today. Where can people find you online? And have you decided if you're joining us for the Belgian Grand Prix yet? Uh, I will have to give you a rain check on on that one because 
uh, as I've been doing today, there's bike racing on. I'm helping motorsport.com uh, with uh, with that. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at cstevens underscore journey. Basically, Matt, he's waiting to see if a better offer comes in. Basically, yes. My friend, you you are on holiday again, aren't you, for the Belgium Grand Prix? But you're going to have some better internet, so you might well be joining us. Where can people find you online? Of course, at MattPT55 on the internet. Do keep an eye, if you like the occasional romance read, on my wife's at A. Weaver Writes. They put one of her contemporary books on sale, and that almost never happens. So good chance to pick up something to distract your significant other with while you spend all weekend slack-jawed on the couch staring at motorsports. Oh, Matt, and I must say again, like, how fantastic was it to meet you in real life and that you were exactly the same person as you are, that we've uh, built a relationship over four years. We disagree on just about everything. But as I said in my blog, uh, a core set of values uh, means I can truly consider you a friend. Absolutely. Well, I think what's funny is we actually agree on everything. We simply disagree on every step of getting there. That's not a bad point. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, do tune in. We may or may not have special guests coming up but we will certainly have a show on sunday for you follow me at spanners ready and follow the show at missed apex f1 we also have a facebook page if you want to join the live stream go to youtube click missed apex podcast subscribe click the little bell you'll get a notification every time we go live until next time remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory last forever this is missed apex not live but still okay I tell you what, the winter is easier for content than the summer because nobody is on holiday during the winter. Everyone's at home and dying to jump on a podcast. During the summer, everyone's like, oh, yeah, it'll be great. Yeah, I'll catch up with you sort of uh, around Spa Monza. I'm like, no, that's not when I need. I need you now. I need you now when we're talking about karting Olympics. Please, please come talk to me. And keeping in fine tradition, let's do our panic post-show comment of the week, Matt. And this week's comment of the week winner is Glenn Watkins with an O-T-K-I-N-S. William should try and get some 3M sock sponsorship. <laughs> comment of the week. Missed Apex podcast has no association with 3M socks, whatever it is. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 